Hello listeners and welcome to another episode of Maintenance Disrupted. I'm your host, Steve Doby, and today I welcome back to the show Rob Kalroski. And we discuss leadership and a lot of the common issues that we have with leadership, some strategies to take leadership of your own career and your own life, and also how to start affecting change within your organization. None of these are any small feats, and it's a long journey, but definitely worth to listen, and thank you, Rob, for coming on the show. Before we jump into today's episode, a quick message from our sponsor, NanoPrecise. Hello, listeners. This is Steve Doby, one of your co-hosts of Maintenance Disrupted. Our sponsor, NanoPrecise has been bringing you Machine Doctor to the rescue each week, telling you about a different fault that they have detected and helped resolve at one of their customers' operations. And this week, our Machine Doctor to the rescue, we're in the steel sector at a Sinter plant. The Sinter cooling fan was in critical condition, and Machine Doctor alerted the end users with early fan-bearing outer race fault, helping them from the major costly breakdown. To find out more, you can visit NanoPrecise website at nanoprecise.io. Now, here's your episode. Welcome, welcome, welcome to another episode of Maintenance Disrupted. I've got a very special guest who I think you probably all know. Welcome back to the show, Rob. How's it going today? Good. How are you doing? Thanks for having me, Steve. Pretty good, Rob. Thanks for coming back on your old podcast. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I'm always available. So, Last minute notice in case I wake up in the morning, it's like, oh, shit, I forgot to get a guest for this week. Rob is always there. That's definitely not what happened this week. <laughs> we're 8 a.m. on a Saturday morning, so we're rolling. Let's go. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. And I asked you a few days ago. Um, <laughs> the so, But I did want to chat with you, obviously, because, uh, you know, it's always good to have you on. And um, you've recently had a bit of a change. So why don't you tell us what you're working on these days? Yeah, so I guess it would have been a week-ish ago. I wrapped up my my career at Enbridge, and now I will be partnering with Elite High Performance to launch a bunch of leadership and mindset coaching services, like a, a group coaching, programming, and consulting stuff, which is really aimed at a lot of the stuff I talk about on, well, I used to talk about on this show, and I talk about now on the Leadership Launchpad Project is geared towards this aspect of people-centric leadership and really reforming our mindsets and how we lead people to sort of maximize performance at work. And so that's where we're really going is how can we transform organizations into learning organizations that really lean into people and really maximize continuous improvement. Yeah, absolutely. And that's, you know, that's so wholly important because, you know, any, everybody we have on the show, like some aspect of this shows up in all of those conversations. And like, I think about it and you think about what actually produces value 
for a maintenance department or um, at least very much what is the purpose of a maintenance group and at the end of the day it's to maintain the equipment and that leadership aspect from your frontline supervisors to your to your technicians doing the work like that's they're the ones that are actually in control of everything you put out so it's um so when we think about you know leadership in terms of leading leading a group of technicians it's it always gets kind of a bit of a bad rap like people think it's a rough place like you know we've talked before about like the macho industries and stuff like that but it's really shouldn't be like that hey yeah and i mean it's it's what do you see right and most people as leaders and this is regardless of of like whether you're an engineering manager to the shop foreman to the to even just like someone who doesn't have any direct reports, right? Is what do we typically see in management is sort of how we craft our own style. And what, we, what we've seen in our industry is very much we lean into metrics, we lean into command control, we bonus people off of, you know, like, hey, you hit a million man hours without an LTI, you know, and like the data's out. You can read Clive Lloyd's book, right? He says like these mission zero things actually increase the amount of events that you have. And the reason that is the case, right, is you're shooting for an unattainable target. And we've seen it, right? We see it in maintenance where you go in and and people are manipulating metrics because they're they're basically making yellows and reds turn green because they want to like look good. And like, what are we really doing there? Like, if we're not seeing the truth, how can we improve? And then the other side of it is you saw this when we were both at Fluid Life, right? Like you would go to a site and you would be doing an audit or you would be doing an evaluation of their lubrication or reliability program. And you would talk to the operators, you would talk to the mechanics, you would talk to the reliability people, the frontline guys who do the work every day. And they would take you exactly to all the problems and they would tell you exactly how to fix all the problems. And yet nobody's listening to them. And it's like, that's on leaders. Why are we not listening to them? And then we get mad at them and go, well, their attitude is bad. They're disengaged. They're frustrated. Like, why are these guys who work at our plants who for 20 years, why are they all grumpy? It's because what we want is to be heard. We want to improve our site. We want to become better. That's who we are. That's what we're designed to do. And we as leaders are failing those people. Yeah. And you're absolutely right. In, and looking at those frontline technicians and having the answers, you know, I, I credit that with actually the reason why I've I've done fairly well because um, I'm not that engineer that has the knack that can look at a system and just instantly know how it works. Like, that's not me. Um, all the solutions I've ever come up with in my career have been because I've talked to the frontline guys. I've talked to the people with the knowledge and I've worked with them to try and get a solution pushed through. Now, it's. And, and you know, that's we need to see 
not saying everybody needs to be like me, but that's that's where we need to start getting that solutions from. But one of the things I've missed a lot is feeding back that credit, like closing that loop, getting them to understand that, you know what, I was able to accomplish this because you gave me that information. You know, for them, their their first priority needs to be what the work they're that they're doing on the day, both in terms of safety and in terms of actually keeping the equipment running like it needs to be. But they need to have that feedback loop so that they can realize that, you know, if they put a comment on a PM sheet or they give feedback here or there, that something actually happens with it. And that feedback loop is broken in, I think, just about every organization I've been to. Um, and it's it's not an easy one to do because if you take everything, every piece of feedback that you get from your front line and you try and give feedback on it, that's a lot because they're full. You know, the, the technicians have tons of feedback every day on just about everything. And so you got to sort through it a little bit and, and work with it, right? Yeah, and it's it's not always about everything, right? And, and it's also, like, I think people misconstrue this and say, every piece of feedback that I get, I must action, right? And, and that's not necessarily the case. It's people want to be heard and they want their ideas to be validated. And it's literally like they, it's one of the pillars of engagement. Like there's four pillars of engagement. And one of the pillars is basically like, I am listened to and my manager does something with the information I give them. Right. And so if we think about feedback, if you're if you are a manager, like basically you should be meeting with your direct reports every week. And and this meeting can range from 20 to 40 minutes to an hour. It's up to you, but it's really a space where you can coach them on you can coach them and you can get feedback. What needs what do you need to do better as a leader for them? You know, how's their work going? How can you better support them? But the, the, in terms of the, the negative feedback that goes back to, to people, it's really should be done on an ad hoc basis, like basically right when the event happens. So like, let's say you're in a meeting, someone presents something and there was some piece of it that you didn't think was good right after that meeting. Hey, can we get a coffee? Hey, I think you should have done this a little bit differently, blah, 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 blah. It needs to happen right away. And and like you think about feedback loops, like we, we learned this in college, but even if we just think about it in terms of like a manufacturing thing, like how long or like if you if you wait six months for your annual review or your six month review, it's like how many how many time units of poor production are you going to take? Right. And, and praise is the same, right? Like you want to praise people. One, it's a confidence builder. But two, it reinforces what do you actually want this person to do more of? And that's where feedback is so important, right? Is like if people are giving you great ideas, you have one, you have to do something with them. You can't just let them sit in the ether. Um, and then the second thing is you have to praise them. Hey, like this was really helpful. I needed to know this and I didn't. And then this is what we did with it. And whether that's you progressing it to the next level or however your process works, like that is also feedback. 
but it but it really you're right like people need to know otherwise they're going to stop doing it yeah exactly and you know I, I always think back to the firefighting mentality that is basically the constant battle that every maintenance organization is fighting is we've got we've got supervisors who get rewarded they get that immediate feedback from the operations team when they get the equipment back up good job you did well the quality of that work you know often is suspect um but they got the equipment back up and we don't have the follow through in most organizations to say look yeah you got that up in an hour but it also came back down the next day and took longer to fix or we had this sort of um extra damage or whatever it is so like i always think back uh, I've had, we've, you and I have had a lot of chats with Bob Latino and I think the ideal place for uh, that feedback loop with a lot of technicians is getting them involved in the failure investigations. Cause when something goes down, we all know it went down. Like it's the failure, hopefully the failure modes are mapped somewhat. And so you have a good idea of, of what happened, but actually bringing those guys in. And I think Bob said it in one of the other episodes is, once they say something, even if it's outlandish, it's still a theory, gets written on a sticky note, gets put up on the board, and it's validated right then and there that your idea is important and we've put it up here. And it's a theory that we need to look at because, you know, I've seen in RCAs, some of those most outlandish thoughts actually are the, the ones that are correct. And without that person in there, you wouldn't have ever got it. So it's... It's interesting. Um, and then I always talk, we always look at like, we all have, we do FMEAs, we build our PM sheets. We say, okay, here's all our failure modes. Here's how we're controlling them. And we still see the same failure modes showing up that we're supposed to be controlled for. And yet we don't ever seem to, it, it's it's a circle where, okay, well, we, we did this FMEA strategy, but we still see this failure mode. Like the leadership in terms of like that continuous improvement piece, we were kind of talking about this a bit before the show, but like, how do we, how do we change that mindset to, and I think if we had a great answer, then uh, maybe reliability would be a little further ahead than it is, but how do we change this mindset to like be looking critically? Because maintenance is that inherent reactive organization and how do we start shifting that i mean you you mentioned it right it's people are getting praise for firefighting and people are not getting praise for fix it and let it run for another whatever till the next pm right and, and even what you mentioned about like having a technician in the room for an RCA or, um, you know, having a technician or operators involved in defect elimination, right? It's like these, these things, what we're trying to do is foster a culture of trust and psychological safety. And if you take that idea that they throw out there and you say, oh, it's trash without going through basically the continuous improvement cycle, which is some version of hypothesis, test the hypo like experiment, test the hypothesis, validate whether it's true or not, 
and then feed it back and loop it again, like we're going to destroy the people's ability to throw out ideas, which is psychological safety, right? And like the, one of the, the actual like key psychology component in psychological safety is I am willing to throw out an idea without fear of judgment. And mo the reason that most people hold back ideas, and I'm sure everybody who's listening to this right now, have you ever, like, let me ask you this. Ha have you ever sat in a meeting and not said, not shared an idea that you had? Or not shared a feedback that said, hey, we should do it this way, or we should change how we're doing this, or, you know, this isn't working. And the reason you didn't do that is because the easy payoff is just to sit and say nothing. That's a guaranteed payoff. That's the firefighting, right? I don't say anything. I don't get judged. Bam, I win, right? But it takes courage to stand up and to say something. And it takes courage to change. And I think that's the biggest piece and like what we're working on with a few organizations, but with a maintenance, well, a production manufacturing company specifically, is we're trying to rebuild trust between the different levels of the organization. We're trying to make sure people are feeling heard and seen and validated. And then we're trying to implement this mindset of continuous improvement. But we never get to continuous improvement if we don't have trust. Because if we don't have trust, we don't have psychological safety, and then we never get to engagement and continuous improvement. Or and like we're not even talking about high performance. We're talking about like like better than average or better than below average performance. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and it's it's so interesting because it's whenever we talk about a failure. You know, and again, Bob always said talks about that latent root cause or systemic root cause, which again is that is culture, is leadership, is those aspects. And if you're actually in an RCA, more often than not, those systemic issues will come up, they'll be stated, they'll be on the list. But where you target your fix is where you feel your circle of control is or your circle of influence is. And that's always, you know, for engineers, it's, I understand the physical, I'm going to tackle that physical root cause. And then you just end up resolving symptoms. And like, I'm sure, <laughs> I, I know a lot of people are probably listening to this, nodding their heads saying, yeah, that's, that's right. And, and it's so what? So how do we move to that next, next stage? Like so many people are in these organizations, like big organizations, they're one person affecting culture change is hard. It takes what I can six years to make an impact. Like, how do we start doing that now? For I mean, it's it's the same answer, right? It's you yourself. Like, what is your circle of influence? What is the circle of relationships that you have? Like, do not start off thinking, like, I am going to overhaul the culture of tech resources, right? Like, that is, 
that is way bigger and you know you don't even talk to you know the people up at red dog or the people in vancouver or whatever right but it's like can you absolutely affect your team absolutely can you affect you know the people in your office the people at your mind site you know can you go to sites and can you start affecting those people and the answer is 100% yes and i think if you start to think about who you interact with or who you could potentially start to interact with, that list becomes bigger than what you think it is. Now, in terms of like practical steps, I mean, I I think you need a structure and you need coaching for leadership. Um, the reason for this is, I mean, it starts with one is self-awareness, but it's like, how do you understand, like, how do you know what your gaps are? How do you know where you're falling flat? How do you know what best practice is? How do you know like where to start? And, and I think that's, that's what I'm seeing more and more. And like, obviously I had my own leadership coach and I am one now, so it, it's kind of a bit biased, but it's like, I look at sports and I go, if I never would have had a coach in water polo, like how far would I have gotten? Like, I, I probably wouldn't even know how to swim, right? And, and I think this is the same thing, right? It's ah, come like, on, you can learn on a YouTube video how to play <laughs> polo at a at a near Olympic level, right? <laughs> <laughs> but, it, but it's like the same thing, right? It's like, why do we hire reliability consultants to do to do like a, an audit? We hire them because it's it's because we're missing something. And I, and I think this is the same thing. And, and it's like, the reason I'll say that our leadership program is different than the other ones in reliability industry and some of the other ones in the world is because we tackle mindset. So we, we actually teach you how to affect your own mindset and change how you behave on a daily basis. And this is the thing that really unlocks a lot. And if mm -hmm. you don't start with that, you're never going to get anywhere because what is it? 95 to 97% of the decisions you make on a daily basis are an autopilot of what you've always done. Yeah. But when you show up to work, so, you know, it's great. You have the mindset, okay, today I'm going to do better. And then you show up to work and it's that same culture. It's that same thing. How do you get past that? How do you make that fundamental paradigm shift that allows you to look beyond, you know, the things that you've maybe never liked or, you know, those interactions that aren't the most positive? How do you start to get past those? I mean, first, it's, it's changing your beliefs, right? And so fundamentally, what you're saying is that you believe that you cannot affect change. And that's where you get hopeless and you get disengaged and you get checked out. Now, there are some things that you can't control and you have to lean into those. The interactions that you can't change, I, I mean, the biggest key I would give to people with this is try to feel empathy for the other person. Like, it's almost like, can you do a, can you do an RCA on why the interaction went the way it went? 
right? And, and in a lot of cases, they are having problems with, you know, feeling basically the same as you. Like they feel like they're not in control. They feel like they're getting hammered because this equipment is down and they they had nothing to do with it. Like they couldn't control the operator driving it too fast or they couldn't control um, not getting a PM because the operations needed it or they couldn't control how the maintenance was done last time and now they're responsible for it. A lot of what we, right? And once you start looking at them with empathy and compassion, it it turns it from this escalating, I'm, you're getting mad at me, I'm getting mad at you, to to more of a lens of curiosity in terms of like, what is going on for this person that I can help them with? Or what's going on with them that they need to think about differently? And if you can ask them the right questions where they can get to this point where they see it, it'll change these daily conversations and it'll change them. Yeah. And it's, it's funny. Cause as you say all that, it's like, okay, it, it, this, this isn't things we don't know, you know, cause we, we talk about it in maintenance and reliability all the time. We talk about like asset management, for instance, is built upon like, understanding what's important to each department and then overall understanding what's important to the business, lining your arrows. So they're all pointing that the same way. And like we have these things and it's the same message where we're always saying the same message coming from so many different areas. And it seems to, and I, what we're missing, I think is that belief maybe that it can change or, um, it is that actual knowledge and building some of those tools within our own personal toolboxes on how to actually make those changes. Cause I can go to any, I can go to any site anywhere, find out pretty quickly within an hour or two, what the culture is going to be like, find out a lot of the problems. Cause they're just going to tell you, but then actually fixing those problems and fixing them to a sustainable point. Like you can always put your foot down on the pedal put in a bunch of solutions, whether it's for resolving something, um, some equipment issue or even resolving personal uh, personnel issues or whatever it is, you can always put that foot on the pedal um, and maintain, but you can't always hold the gas down. You need to make that sustainable change. And I think that's where the challenge is because, you know, you do, you get coaching, you do some, you do some stuff that's, um, helps you in the short term and you keep working on it, but it takes a long time to really internalize that. Like I can go back to work and say, okay, I'm going to believe this today and work hard to do that, but it takes a very conscious effort to do it. Like to actually maintain that mindset. And, and again, back to, I hate to use the word paradigm, but to um, change your entire paradigm on how you, how you see work and, like for me, the easiest time to do that has always been like when, whenever you get a new job, it's like, okay, here we go. Fresh start. This is the kind of person I want to be. And I'm going to go in as that person. But when you're in a company and, you know, not saying you always have to change your job if you're in a, in a bad space, but it's like, how do you 
how do you make that sustainable? And that's the, that's the mindset piece, right? And this, this, the mindset piece is not a, you know, like we offer a 12 week program. It's not 12 weeks, right? And it's not easy. You're not going to learn this stuff in four days. Like this is like working out. It's every day. It's all the time and it's years, right? And it's because you basically need to reprogram the beliefs that you've had since you were a child to now. And it's like the way that you behave, it comes back to beliefs that typically you formed between when you were born and seven years old. And so you've, re you've reinforced those from when you were seven or before till now you're 30 or 40 or 50 or 60, right? And some of them can get deeply entrenched because there's trauma around them. Some of them can get deeply entrenched because it's it's the way it is. Um, and I actually somewhat believe that work itself, this like we as engineers turn to systems and processes and like asset management is full of them because we, that's like our bread and butter. Like we think like, hey, we're going to fix people's mistakes if we add a process to this, right? And and it's like, you know, and, and it's like literally the other day I had a conversation with someone and she was talking about like uh, this airline incident where someone who was flying the plane that shouldn't have. And she said like, you know, what we should have done is just put the keys in a lockbox and then the role, like his role, wouldn't have had access to the key. And it's like, well, I mean, you talk to Bob, we've talked to Bob. It's like, well, one is, is, is this happening a lot? Like, is this happening enough to, to warrant a lockbox? Probably not. Like, this is clearly a deliberate act. Like, would the lockbox even have stopped the guy? Like, he could have got he could have got the key from somebody else. Like, I'm sure he could have made up a reason. Someone would be, oh, yeah, it's just Bob. Like, he'll just have the key, whatever, right? I think, and that's the thing I think is like people, and this is, you know, people think that it's like you take a training course for four days and you implement. And we've seen it over and over like those implementations last a week, maybe the last a month, and then it goes back to square zero. It's like you fundamentally need to reprogram, and it's like kind of odd and weird to say this, but you fundamentally need to reprogram yourself as a person. And I think the best example that people can go and look at is me. Like if you look at me from the beginning of this podcast to today, you can see the different type of person that I am. And you can listen and you can hear the ideas I was sharing on day one of this show. And you can see the, the ideas that I'm sharing right now. And they're vastly different. And that's the work. And that's becoming a leader. And that is becoming why and who you truly are. Mm -hmm. And I highly recommend you go back and listen to all, <laughs> what is it, 280 episodes? I can't remember how many we've got in There's there. There's a lot now, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
Yeah, no, you're, you're absolutely right. Cause it's, and, and I think that's important to understand that it doesn't matter if you're 30, 40, 50, 60, you can change your opinions. You can change your thought processes. Like I hear way too often. And for people that are way younger than they should be that say, you know, you can't teach an old dog new tricks. I'm like, man, you're only 50. Like, <laughs> I literally, why can't, this you, conversation. why can't you change? Like, yeah. Like I, we literally had this conversation on a group call yesterday and the guy said like, Oh, you can't teach an old dog new tricks. And it's like, no, you absolutely can. It's whether or not you're willing to be taught, mm-hmm. right? And and what we see in in leadership in our industry is a very fixed mindset. We do it this way. We've always done it this way. This is the best way to do it. And that is not the case, right? And And often, like, we're not looking for the best way to do it. We're looking for the way we've always done it. We're rewarded for not rocking the boat because if we stick our neck out there and we're wrong, we get punished. But mm-hmm. if we stick out the, our neck out there and we're right, we're not necessarily rewarded for this. Yeah. So the easiest way is just to shut your mouth and to continue doing what we've always done. And that's why we get mediocre results. That's why we work incredibly hard and yet every site we go to is a disaster and like people are stressed out, they're burnt out, they're disengaged, they're frustrated. We're yelling at each other and we have all the best practices. Like we've had all the guys on our show like who've written the books on the best practices like Nancy Regan, Bob Latino, James Kovacevic, Jesus Safante, like Suzanne Greenman, they've written the books on the best practice. And yet you go to the field, you go to these companies, and none of them have changed. And the the reason is we are unable to affect change in ourselves. And we need to do the work to change ourselves so then we can change the people around us. Yeah, that's right. And, you know, it's it's funny because I, you know, I've worked at quite a few different mines and, you know, they're, they're not immune to any of these issues at all. And I'd say most actually suffer from all of it. I think every place, like you said, every place we've gone to generally has suffers from this. And what's re- interesting is you go to the people that have worked for there for 10, 20, 30 years. They say, oh, yeah, we've been through this before. You know, we've had we've had this attempt at culture change. We've had this leadership stuff. It doesn't last like just, you know, fool me once shame on you fool me twice. uh, Shame on me kind of thing. Right. Like they're just checked out for accepting or believing any, any of that. You know, they look at, especially like the areas where I work, where it's very much like generational minds. uh, People have, been here their fathers were here like i think i was talking to somebody the other day they're a fourth generation miner from the area and you've been here a long time um and so you think about that first seven years of life for it keeps getting reinforced every generation right um and like getting past that those people is uh 
is tough and getting them to buy in nights not getting them not getting passed on that's wrong wrong set of words it's getting them to actually buy in and say this time it will be different and it's because you have to rebuild trust yeah right and we like we have examples of this like if you go back a few uh, a few months or whatever and listen to how to engage your people with Garrett Earl, Garrett literally built rebuilt trust with exactly the person you're talking about. Like he had a guy who had worked at uh, his site for 20 years and he got him back. Like we are literally doing that with the company we're working with now. Like one of their people worked there 20 years, super checked out, super against this stuff. And what ha- like what what did it what did it take? It took empathy. It took having a conversation. And and like obviously it's not fully rebuilt yet. But it took the feedback. Like what do you want to see change? What are your ideas for improvement? And then it took implementing those ideas. And like mm-hmm. what you're talking about is trust, right? They cannot trust that it's going to get driven through. And and it's not their fault because we broke the trust. Now, is that true? Right? And it's like Clive says it. It's like trust arrives on foot and leaves on horseback. Like we need to do consistent daily action. We have to live with, we have to live with what we say we're going to do. We have to continuously act in accordance to our values, act into accordance of what we say. And that's how you build trust. And you can, and if you do one thing that is against all those things, like you say, like every company does, safety is number one. And then when it's a million dollars on safety or a million dollars for production, they always pick production. And what kills trust? Exactly that. Mm-hmm. And it's funny that you say that because so you built trust. And my question, I guess, is who, where was that trust built into? So is it built into the organization? Is it built into the supervisor, that specific leader? Because if that leader then leaves, is that trust gone again? And do, does somebody else have to start over? Like, um, I know <laughs> Garrett just switched jobs. So this is what, what kind of brought it to mind. Um, and so is, is that work that he put in, is that going to, for the guy that takes his place, is that going to be there? It's probably there until it gets broken and likely it will get broken. And that was the reason why Garrett left, right? Is, is Garrett was in an organization that didn't believe in the work that he was doing. They didn't believe in him as a leader and his organization was not aligned with the values that he has. Like Garrett is very much a, a guy who is on a, like on a path of growth He's very much a leader. He's very much a guy who's eventually probably going to run his own facility. Um, and he is destined for bigger things than where they saw him. Now, the, the key to what you're mentioning, Steve, is this is why you have to do this. If you want to actually sustainably inc- improve your company forever, or at least in the near future, this cannot be like a one-person initiative, right? 
like you can become a better leader in all likelihood what you'll learn is you'll you'll kind of be like Garrett like you'll make a difference with your team you'll get better results and then you'll you may leave your organization you may find something that aligns more with what you're looking for you may decide that you know or you may get promoted out in which case you'll have to like do it with a new team um but if you really want to sustain change and you really want to become better throughout the organization, like I see this as like an organizational thing. And like this is the road we're going down with multiple companies is like we need to run a, like a fair amount of people through this. And you have to run your all the way from your senior leaders to the to the shop floor people. Because otherwise, exactly what's going to happen, right? It's going to be all this stuff's going to be built on one leader and they're going to walk out the door. And then what do you have? Nothing. You're back at square one. And I guess the last thing I'll mention is like, like, what do we think leadership is in our industry? Like we have a few, like we have a few people offering leadership courses in our industry and basically they're how to manage reliability projects, right? And it's like, this is not what leadership is. This is management. And and it's like, if we want to actually affect change, we want to actually help people change their lives, we want to actually make our results better, we have to go beyond management. We have to go beyond, like, how to run an RCM, right? Like, we need to go beyond this. And it has to become part of who we are. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I know for me, like we, you talk about the organization or or uh, the, the individual, like I just got to imagine, like when I think about it for me and I think about, okay, I, I go to work every day, um, whether it's at home, whether it's at a site, doesn't matter. I want to enjoy myself. I want to enjoy the time I spend on this earth. Like I've, I don't know how many years are in there, but uh, I want to make sure that I like them. <laughs> and if if I'm going every day to a place that I'm not happy about, then I'm not going to be happy. I'm not going to be enjoying that. So how do I make that difference for myself? And that also includes having people that are around me that are also enjoying themselves. And like it takes it takes time, but I try to, with the people I work with, I try to, you know, bring that out a little more and like, you know, let's, in, let's enjoy our job. Like there's lots of things to complain about and you can absolutely complain about them. I, and I get to be all ears, but you know, with like, when I talk to you, for instance, like see the humor in the complaints, right? Like what's, <laughs> what's going on? Like, you know, best you, you memes look at, in the world coming straight right. out of like, being is disrupted. <laughs> And none of them are from uh, <laughs> anything I'm working on on the immediate day. Uh, anyways, um, the but you know what I mean? Like, we're going to these places every day and you got to be happy where you work. And if something's not making you happy, you got to do something about it. You can't just sit there and complain about it. You can absolutely complain about it. And that's perfectly <laughs> fine. But then it's what are you going to do about it? One of the things I always hated the most and uh, um our old boss um did this a lot is you'd bring a problem and be like well what do you want to do about it 
It's like, well, this is why I'm bringing you this issue. Like, I don't know what I want to do about it. And that's, and that's okay. You don't have to have a solution, but you need to have an outlet to start to come to a solution. You can't complain just for the sake of complaining. You got to complain to have the conversation on how to do something about it. That's right. And, and I mean, there's two, there's, let's tackle the first one about, you know, how do you create an environment that you like or, or that, that you enjoy. And, and for me, this starts with one is self-awareness and the second is understand Well, it's all self-awareness, but it's basically like what, what triggers you to feel anxiety? What triggers you to feel upset, frustrated, angry, like these feelings, we call them red flag emotions, but basically like what triggers you and what events are happening on a daily basis that make you feel less than happy? Um, that's when you can start understanding what part of your environment's not working for you. Do that well, RCA, right? Right. And, and then the opposite side, right, is like, what are things that you're doing or that you like about your job? Like these are like, when do you feel best? When do you feel in flow? When are you feeling like, hey, this is fun. Like, I like this. Um, and then there's some job crafting, right? Is like, how can you lean into the things you like? How can you lean out of the things you don't like? That's part of it. Like understanding your values is huge, is a huge portion of this because obviously your values, when you're in alignment with your values, that's when you're going to feel your best. There's other things like how do you know what you're good at or what, what are you good at? What is your sweet spot? These are things that, again, right? Like when you're in your sweet spot, you're going to be feeling good. You're going to be in flow. These are when these good things are going to be happening. Um, that doesn't stop with just you, right? Is like, if you're a leader, you can craft your job to what you like. You can also craft the people around you's jobs to what they like, right? And, and it doesn't necessarily even require, you know, authoritarian position. It's like, hey, you know, I don't know, like, let's say one of the technicians likes to fix I don't know, mechanical things and not electrical things. Like you could probably tweak it. So he's doing mostly the mechanical stuff or maybe Hopefully he he's likes, not an electrician. <laughs> yeah. Right. Or like maybe he likes to teach things. So maybe yeah. you can get him to train the new guys that are coming in. Like there's options out there that don't require, you know, huge shifts and um, job responsibilities where you can like get some stuff that, that people like more. Um, yeah. Well, it's funny because yeah. I asked uh, one of the people working for me and I asked that question. I'm like, well, what do you like? Like, yeah, here's the project we have to do. But what do you like? What do you want? And he's like, nobody's actually asked me that before. I'm like, that's pretty sad when you've, you, you know, coming from the technician route, it's always like, here's the equipment fix it and there's never enough of this what do you actually want to do what do you want to get out of your job it's because that role is so defined and what tasks need to be done there's no creativity or no interest to tailor it to a specific person that's there 
and you know i don't want to get into a union issue or not but um you know when you look at unions and, and how unions define a lot of the work that goes on like it's there's not a lot of freedom there and so like if you have technicians working for you or you are a technician and you have that ability to have that freedom like it's you know i think it, it, it must be a lot more liberating but i mean this is like this is why 85% of the world is disengaged, right? It's like nobody cares about their employees, like whether they absolutely come out and say it, which nobody does, or they like, or maybe Amazon does, I suppose, um, or they, or they actually just never think about it, which is like anecdotally not caring. But it's like, Steve, how many times have you been asked what you like to do? I got to assume a few. <laughs> right? Or like, how many times has someone asked you, like, how could I make your job more enjoyable for you? It's yeah, like, it, it rarely happens. Yeah, it, it doesn't. Um, like, I know for me, I recently created more or less a new job and like we've had Allison on the show she did she did a similar thing where it's like here's the area I want to go to so I'm going to make that happen because you know at the end of the day you have to look out for yourself if you want something you have to push to get it you have to push your supervisors you have to push your managers you got to push yourself to get it like you're the only one that's responsible for you you know, there's support along the way. Like I, I'll fully admit, like um, if it wasn't for you, I wouldn't be in the podcast game. And you definitely pushed me into, you know, helping you with things and and moving outside of stuff I would normally do. And and that's great. But at the end of, but it stop, stops. Like I could have very easily said no, and my life would have been just fine. I've got a good job. Like it, it would have been just fine. But the knowledge and skills that I've gained through it, because I said yes. And you don't have to be a yes man and say yes to everything, but you know, you do have to, you look at your future and I was like, okay, where do I actually want to be? Do I want to, you know, in the next 20 years, do I want to still be where I am? Like, how does that all fit in? Like, what is your plan and take leadership of your own life. And as you bring yourself up, it's pretty easy to bring other people up that are around you too, because that type of it's infectious people like, when you're excited about your job and you're, you're making things work and you've got plans for the next step, like people like to see that and they like to try and emulate that. And like, I've definitely been in both positions where I think, Oh, I've told you like my first job, like it didn't go well. I was disengaged, like foot out the door, not really interested. Let's find a new job. And, naturally it didn't end well like my culture and the company culture didn't fit together so why did i stay there as long as i did right so it's and that's and that's the that's the like you're absolutely right right it's like leadership starts with us it starts with the self-awareness it still starts with us understanding where do we want to go and you're right like why did i quit enbridge which is you know, a six-figure job to not be paid or be basically paid, <laughs> um, like basically be paid based on what I sell, 
right? It's like somewhat entrepreneurial, right? And and it's because I need an environment where I'm pushed. I need an environment where I can learn things. I need an environment where my opinions and my knowledge and my skill and my gifts are acknowledged and more than acknowledged, like literally used. And I think that's the piece for people, right? And it's like a lot of people, you know, you're in a job and and like the other side of it is like, why did I stay in heavy industry so long? And it's basically because I had a belief that I need to have a job. You're a mechanical engineer. That's where you belong, right? (laughs) Right. And it's like, my dad has told me my entire life, like, hey, you go to college. You, you, well, you work hard in, in like elementary, high, middle school, high school. You get good grades. You go into the best college you can. You graduate and then you get a job and then you work till you're 55, 65. And then you retire and you have your picket, white picket fence, your wife, your one and a half kids and your golden retriever. And you're going to be happy. Right? Yeah. I was just going to say, can I ask how you get a half a kid? (laughs) (laughs) You're cutting in half. (laughs) Um, But yeah, yeah, it's like, and and it's like, how did that work out for me? Like I went to one of the top engineering colleges in the world. I got a great stable job and then I wanted to kill myself. And I am still working on that, right? And it's like, well something did not work like the the conditioning that my parents and society puts on us tells us one thing but our true selves and our true happiness and our true what we are here to do are different and like you know if you love engineering then engineering's for you right like if you go home on a weekend and you look forward to rebuilding your 1958 Camaro like that's what you should be doing and like you should be ranching on stuff and you know you should be a mechanic at work and like that's what you should be doing but for me it's and and that's the the hardest part about leadership right and this is why i say it, it's like literally it never stops like it's it's action like i go to i have a psychologist a psychiatrist um i have a coach i have like a group of people who are also on these like growth missions. And then like I host podcasts where literally twice a week I'm getting people who are also pushing and trying to change the world in their own way. And it's like, these are what I needed to feel the way I need to feel in order to be like in order to thrive. And I think for people out there, like the one thing I'll say, Steve, is like when you're looking at what you want to do in the future, is that you or is that the conditioning that you are raised to believe? Because that is, and we, we teach this as a visualization and like, how do you feel when you experience the life that you want to build? Like, is it lighting you up or is it, you know, or is it like, eh, I could, I could take it or leave it. 
right? And I think that's the thing. Like if someone said to you, Steve, in 20 years, you're going to be the vice president of whatever at some mining company, like, would you take it? How would that make you feel? Mm-hmm. And if the answer is, yeah, I'd be fine, then it's probably not it for you. But if the answer is like, oh man, like that would be amazing. Like I, this is what I would do every day and I would feel incredible about doing it and I could overhaul this and I could do this and I would be in the pocket and I'd be like, then that's the answer for you. And to even get to a point where you can figure out what that 20-year vision or 30-year vision, for me, it took a few years of like deep, like trauma work and deep, um, deep experiences. And like, it's not easy, but it is worth it. And it does change your life. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's important to note too, that that can change. Like, like you said, over the past, your answer this year compared to, I guess, three years ago when we started the, when you started the podcast would be very different answers. Absolutely. Three, three years ago, I would have said to you that I wanted to be a reliability consultant and I wanted to help people change their maintenance practices. Now I would say to you, I want to change workplaces, change leaders, so then everybody can be happy and engaged at their work. Mm -hmm. That's great. Well, I think that is a perfect point to end the episode. (laughs) We we were chatting for half an hour before we started recording. So, um, thanks Rob for coming on. It's always a pleasure to catch up and, um, definitely need to have you on again sometime soon, but before we close out, what do you have upcoming? What do you have going on? Yeah. So I, I don't know if this, I guess it'll be out roughly in time. Um, I'll be joining the empowering brands leadership summit. I believe it's August 30th. Uh, So I'll be speaking at that about psychological safety, which we kind of touched a little bit on, on this show. I'll also be at LRVS talking about something (laughs) about leadership and psych safety too. I think. Um, Make sure you use the maintenance disrupted link to register. (laughs) That's right. And if you go back, you could win a free ticket, right? That's right. Um, And then also like, I think Cliff and I are doing a pre, a pre LRVS half hour thing through them. So that's, I I believe that's September 10th, but check the LRVS schedule for that one. And yeah, I mean, for me, obviously, so like wherever you're listening to Maintenance Disrupted, go over, subscribe to the Leadership Launchpad Project podcast. We talk about a lot about leadership and we're getting a lot of guests that are way outside of, like they're not working in maintenance. Like these people are, um, I guess the one this week, the woman who is on Nancy Barting Yan, she's a she's a nurse practitioner um, who's moving into a CI role at a hospital. Uh, we've had leadership coaches on. We've had people who work at high tech companies. Uh, we've had marketing people on. Like these are people who are really changing the game of how work 
is being done. So definitely check that one out. If you're into more of the mental health side and the self-discovery high performance side, you can go to Dismantling the High Performance Narrative. Hit that, hit subscribe on that. We've had some incredible conversations about like psychedelic medicine, healing, <laughs> self-discovery, and then obviously a lot of stuff around mental health. Um, that one is, is pretty cool. So check that one out too. And then like we are rolling out a bunch of leadership services and offerings, not only just courses, but also stuff where we will literally engage your site, take you through the culture transformation. This is not for everybody there. This is an application process. So it's not like, hey, you just sign up and 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 get it. We actually want to vet you and make sure you're serious. We want to vet you and make sure that you're ready. Um, but we're going to have that rolling out. And if you're interested in that, let me know. And you can, for all that stuff, you can go to EliteHighPerformance.com. It's not all up on the website yet. It will be shortly. Um, you can also email me, Rob, at EliteHighPerformance.com, or you can shoot me a message on LinkedIn because I assume, I assume most of you have me on LinkedIn. Yeah, absolutely. And all those links will be on the uh, in the podcast description. And, of course, Rob is still very much a part of Maintenance Disrupted, and you can always get in touch with, any Blair or I, and we can get you get a hold of Rob for you too. Absolutely, right. and yeah, Steve. I mean, I mean, first, thanks for having me today. Um, and I think it's we we taught we covered a lot today, and and I think what I what I wanted to do today was just like give people a lot to think about. And I think we did that. And I think if people listen back to this and pull out a few things, maybe we can get they can get started. But really, I would say the most actionable thing is start with yourself and start with self-awareness and really lean into that. And then the rest of it, well, you can work on. It'll fall into place. <laughs> yeah, that's great, Rob. And thanks for coming on. It was uh, It was great having you. Thank you.